we're back with another episode of Makers Weekly. My name is Dan Parsons, and I am your host. On this episode, I sit down with Cody Candy, founder of Bounce, at the beautiful co-working space, The Here Collective, located in the Eclectic Mission District of San Francisco. We discuss the operational complexities of solving offline problems with online solutions and how you can test demand for your idea with tools like AdWords before you've ever even started building your product. You're going to love this episode, so here we go. All right, uh, we'd like to welcome Cody Candy to the show. Uh, He is the founder of Bounce. Um, To get started, do you mind telling us just a little bit about Bounce? Sure, thanks so much for having me, Dan. So Bounce is an app where you can find a place to leave your things anywhere in the city. So people, people use Bounce to store luggage or backpacks or your gym bag, whatever it is, solving the problem that people spend far too much time planning their days and planning their lives around the things that they own. So all of our space is hosted by local businesses, everything from hotels to mom and pop dry cleaners, everything in between. And um, yeah, our, 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 we are both a mobile app, Bounce Bag Storage, Android and iOS, as well as a web platform, usebounce.com. Got it. So if I'm traveling, let's say to New York City and I land and I have a bunch of luggage, um, but I can't check into my hotel for a few hours and I don't want to schlep it around the city, then I could hop on your app and find a place that's close by where I can drop and leave my luggage for however long I want. That's exactly right. When I heard about this, I was I was like, this is one of those ideas that I think everyone has thought about. Um, do you mind telling us like how you got inspired for this idea and, and when you decided to start testing to see if there was something there? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually had a similar idea, a version of this idea. The vision's been the same, but the original idea of Bounce, including the name, I had in 2014, four years before we started it. And basically the idea was you can press a button and someone will come and pick up your stuff and then bring it back to you wherever you are later. And I didn't start it at the time because it was, that idea was very logistically hard to build. But the big vision was, and the problem we were solving, first of all, the problem we were solving was that people spend far too much time planning their days and planning their lives around the things that they own. And so the vision for Bounce was, here's this app where you can summon your things away from you or to you. We're sort of building cloud computing for the physical world, if you will. Um, this network of distributed storage and, and the ability to, to summon things from or to any of those storage points. So back in late 2017, I was exploring what I wanted to work on next and was brainstorming some ideas. And my friend Nathan said, what about that idea of bounds you had so long ago? I was like, oh, that's, that's too hard to build. He's like, oh, maybe there's a way. And so basically my co-founder and I, I ring up uh, my friend Alex, who um, we had always talked about working on a startup together. And I said, hey, here's this vision. Here's this problem. Do you think there's something here? And then we came in and hacked on this problem for a while. Sweet. Um, so you kind of gave it a first pass or at least thought about it several years ago. And, you know, as technology evolves, these things become easier to build. Um, so there was a point in time where you were you're thinking, you know, now might be the time to pursue this. Yeah, the timing, the timing to get started with a challenging problem was just perfect from a personal perspective. And then in terms of the idea, the complexity was still there, but we were starting with this mindset that there is like, there's got to be a way to figure this out. Like, you know, let's put something out there right away and then iterate to something, to a business model or a, a product that, that 
we'd be able to get off the ground relatively quickly. And I can share some stories with how we got that started. Yeah, I think it'd be great to start from, all right, we're going to attack this problem. How did you go about validating, you know, that they're one, that this was a big enough problem to go after and two, that it was feasible for you guys to tackle? Yeah. Yeah. So basically the way we thought about it was there's this big vision and there's a problem that I described and it was just, you know, we've got to find, you know, there's, there's got to be something here. And so what we did was um, we said, how can we deliver the customer value proposition in as quickly time as possible? And how can we test the biggest assumptions? So one of the questions we asked ourselves was, if bounce is to work, what has to be true? And the first assumption that I felt was the make or break for bounce was, are, random, are, are people willing to trust random strangers to take their things? Are they gonna hand their things off to random strangers? And so what we did was we put up a landing page. We used just a general website builder, um, put something live in a couple of hours, bought some AdWords, and then there it was. We would see what the response was. Um, it worked out really well. Within five minutes, someone called and said, hey, can you come pick up my stuff? Mm-hmm. And my co-founder and I were like, oh, wow, like this is real. Here it goes. And she's asking all these questions. How much does it cost? You know, who picks it up? And we were just making it all up on the fly, making sure anything we said were commitments we could deliver on, and we did. Um, and then the next day, we showed up and picked up her stuff. And uh, we actually brought a, another suitcase with us and saran wrapped it to make it look like we were, uh, uh, you know, on another delivery and, and just <laughs> give her a little bit more confidence. And yeah, she barely blinked an eye. She said, here's my stuff. Um, she asked, is it safe? We said, oh, of course. And, um, and that was our, our first customer. So a very lo-fi way of testing, um, of testing some of your assumptions. Yeah. I mean, you hear people talk about that model a lot, like throw up a landing page, throw out some AdWords and just see if you can capture, if there's any sort of demand there. Um, but this is like the perfect scenario where that actually worked out. Yeah, and that's how we do everything. I was uh, I was lucky enough to get some experience with this prior. Um, my background is product management, and I also spent some time uh, doing um, rapid prototyping with uh, at a venture studio called Factory X okay. with, with Tom Chi, who's one of the founding team members of Google X. So their whole thing was around rapid prototyping uh, way back then. And um, so yeah, basically we said, how can we test assumptions as fast as possible and get these initial concepts off the ground. And then where did you go from that first fake it to make it like pick up with a with a fake bag in the van? Like what did you guys do next? Yeah, so we had validated the first assumption. Some people are willing to hand over their bags to complete strangers. The next assumption was this logistics part of the model. It was probably going to be really 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 hard and expensive and complex. And sure enough, it was. So we were, we were riding around New York City on city bikes, fulfilling orders, sometimes calling an Uber pool to transport people's things if it was more than we could carry on a bike. Totally sort of hacked together experience. And we were like, wow, this is this is really hard to go from place to place, like make sure we, we arrive at the same time that the person's there. All the complexity of logistics. So we said, how can we simplify this so we actually have a real business here? Um, not just us riding around on bikes <laughs> for way less than, you know, a delivery driver would make. Um, and so the next iteration was, you know, logistics needs to be easier. And we came up with this idea that stores, local businesses, local retailers could be the pickup or drop off points. So you could drop off at a store and then pick it up at a different store rather than us having to go straight to the user. So that was our next test. The next week, that was our product. And we fulfilled orders that way, you know, city bike still and, 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 but it was way, way, way easier. 
And we could have kept going down that path, but what we realized was there were enough customers willing to drop off and pick up from the same location, from the same business. And we thought, wow, that is so simple, so easy to build, no logistics involved. And so we could literally build that product in less than a month and um, you know, get our first 100 users and go from there and then build the big vision on top of that, build the, the pickup and delivery on top of that. And so that's ultimately what we did. Got it. So there, I think there's this theme that I'm going to see that keeps coming up in these conversations where the successful products that are continuing to move forward um, take baby steps. So like you have a grand vision, but it sounds like you didn't start with building the master plan. Uh, you started by what is the first iteration that we can you know at least attest the, uh, test the lowest hanging assumptions um, and then move just one baby step forward. Um, so can you talk about the technologies that you were using? So it's out of the gate. It was just a landing page, you know, like what, what did you move? Like what was the next iteration on the technology and what were some of the tools that you guys used? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the hardest part, one of the hardest parts has been, uh, you know, we have this big vision, but only being able to take one, one bite at a time. So in the beginning it was, yeah, these website builders, we even used like a Facebook messenger chat bot. And that was a great way to whip something together in an hour to get customers. But going to the next phase, it was, all right, let's start actually writing code and okay. making this happen. So our first product was sort of Airbnb is sort of a Airbnb like uh, model where you can browse the locations and then book right through there and you take payments with Stripe, uh, through Stripe. And, um, and, and yeah, that was, that was it. That was when we first started writing code. Once we had our first couple dozen customers. So at first there was landing page, let's take emails, let's hop on bikes. And then, you know, the next level of, um, complexity was out of the box solutions, similar to like this Facebook chatbot. Is that where so people could request it through Facebook Messenger? Correct. Got correct. it. Those two were kind of simultaneous. Okay, so you did those out of the gate, and then you said, "Let's start writing some custom code." That's right. That's right. And, and the way we thought about coding at that time was, um, let's get our first product out there as fast as possible. Think of so thinking of this as you know hacked together code, not super productized code. Basically, everything we write will get thrown out, and um, and that allowed us to move really fast. And then, sure enough, we learned so much about what the product requirements will be that then once we've done, you know, our next couple hundred customers, we might write the actual code that we'll, we'll use for a long time to come. What, uh, what frameworks did you use when you were building this prototype code version? Like what, uh, what stack are you guys working on? What are some of the, the code or what, what are some of like the technical, uh, tools you're using? Yeah, I think, I think we used, uh, Elixir on the back end from the start. Um, and then we've used React, and then now for the mobile version, we've used React Native. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think the the hack together sort of mindset is just you know let's ship something as fast as possible. So, where are you guys at now as as it relates to production code, or have you moved on to starting to think about you know this this more long term code base, or are you guys still doing the rapid prototyping? Yeah. So, new features were always rapid prototyping. So you can see these designs on the whiteboard here, which is for our, our some of the delivery things we're working on, and this is is we're thinking about it the same way. Let's just hack something together and then build it for real once we've served a few dozen customers off of it. Um, so in terms of where we are now, we were iterating on the web product for about a year. And then we we created the, we launched our mobile apps um, just last month. 
and we actually wrote a new backend for that and then we'll port our 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 our, our web web experience over to that backend so kind of hit reset again and um yeah it's it's when you're this early in a startup you're constantly learning new product requirements you're constantly learning how you might architect something so you can try to architect something in the beginning as you know this is what's going to be long term but so much is going to change that the longer you delay that um the better it'll be once you actually focus on it but of course it's a trade-off the longer you have hacked together code the more bugs and issues you're going to have yeah. Do you guys follow? I mean, this sounds very lean startup. Do you guys look at that as a as kind of a direction, or is this just happen to be how you how you're working? Or like, do you guys have a, a framework around this, or how do you guys think about that? Yeah, lean startup is, is definitely in our blood. We, myself, my co-founder, maybe everyone on the team, uh, has read that book. And uh, yeah, I read it in 2012 when I was starting my career at Intuit, which is um, a big software company that was um, mentioned in the book a lot as a you know one of the big companies that was embracing this sort of lean startup philosophy. Um, and so, yeah, very much in our blood to do that. And I think it's, I, th- I really think it's the best way to do any kind of software development. As you guys are, you know, now you're iterating on the product, what, uh, what tools are you using as it relates to product analytics? So how are you guys, how are you guys informing your next iteration? Yeah. So I think number one, is always talking to customers and learning from customers. So what are customers saying? Where are they saying they're finding us? What are they saying are the things that made them use us? What are the things that they say made them almost not use us? Um, I think customer is talking to customers and the insights you learn from them is by far the best resource. Um, that's that we have, you know, I look at Google analytics every day and now app store analytics and things like that. But, um, it's, it's very much a, a customer driven approach. So in the early stages, you're not using like a mixed panel or a segment at this phase. It's more just, let's get some, you know, some qualitative inputs. Um, we set up a lot of stuff. So we just like track everything. So segment, we implemented that and, we have like so many different dashboards for certain things to look up, but the main dashboard we look at are uh, is um, Google Analytics and, and some of the metrics there, as well as Stripe, uh, the, the Stripe dashboard. Um, but uh, yeah, we set up everything so that way if we have a question, we can answer. We we could potentially answer it with data. Uh, let's talk about um, customer acquisition a little bit. So, you know, let's maybe go through the same journey we just went through with your product and talk about how your customer acquisition strategies have changed. Um, you know, are you still using AdWords as your primary driver? How are you thinking about, you know, capturing this demand or even generating demand around this product? Yeah. So the way I think about it is every 10 X amount of users is sort of a new, you know, you might think about it differently. So when you're just getting started, when you just have an idea, getting one paying customer is really like the key step. It's, it's not to figure out your grand acquisition plan. It's just getting that first customer and interviewing them, talking to them about why they used you. And the same thing with 10 customers. And then hundred is a nice inflection point because it's far beyond uh, friends or referrals and you really have to hunt for them more and think a little bit more with scale. And then after that, it's, 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 uh, you know, getting your next thousands of customers. And so, um, for that, we've gotten most of our customers organically, uh, organic search, um, actually a lot direct type in as well. Um, and, um, lots of referrals. And so basically, um, yeah, just hustling different channels, figuring out what works and doubling down on the things that do work, but also constantly trying new experiments for new acquisition channels. What's like an example of one of those experiments that you guys have, that you tested and either worked or didn't work? One that didn't work was um, Facebook ads. 
So Facebook ads, you know, you target, uh, you target your demographics, really powerful um, demographic data and or targeting data, I should say. And then basically you say, this is what bounces, they're scrolling their newsfeed or they're scrolling Instagram and they find it. Um, that didn't work at all for us. And I think that's because someone for a product like bounce, you don't, you don't really need it until you're in the situation of needing it. And so something like AdWords works really well because you're searching, you know, you might search like, where can I leave my things in New York city and then bounce will pop up and we can capture you right there. Like the, our marketing funnel is in terms of time is a lot shorter, but something like Facebook is all about awareness. So someone might say, Oh, cool. They might even, you know, um, click on the website and say, wow, this is, this is cool. I'm going to use this in the future, but they're not really going to, they might not have an immediate need for it. So the more, the more, um, targeted your, your ads, um, the more expensive it is. And so the, the, the cost just didn't work out there. That said, we're actually about to re re, uh, do this test because now we have a mobile app and with a web app, no one's really going to like bookmark this page. Like, Oh, I saw this Facebook ad. Let me bookmark this page and come back to it. But with a mobile app, it's easier to create that kind of engagement. They download the app. It's on their phone. So that's a reminder of it. It's still only 10% of the battle, but, um, it may help us, um, uh, the economics could work out there. So your thing with the mobile app, maybe you can convert to an install and now they're in the funnel and you know through push notifications or other methods, you might be able to, to re-engage them when the time's right. That's right. My guess is it might still be too expensive, but this is one of the things where you just always want to experiment, always want to test and then have that data. And if we say, okay, it costs you know, $30 to acquire a customer, not just an install, but a paying customer, then we know, okay, that's too expensive. But if we're in more cities later on, or, you know, we could do different type of targeting, then we have that data and we could say, okay, let's actually try this again and see if we could get the cost down to under $10. Is that your target? $10 CAC customer um, acquisition cost? It really depends on the customer. If we get travel customers, we want the CAC to be below 10 because that's profitable for us. Yeah. But um, if we get local users that will use us multiple times a month, then of course we can um, uh, spend a lot more to acquire that customer. And now let's talk about the other side of the coin. So let's say, you know, you get users, they want to use your service. It only works if there are available vendors and places where they can go take their bags. Um, how do you guys go about acquiring the supply uh, end of the market? Yeah, so when we first started, it was literally just knocking on doors. We've certainly gotten more advanced, and it's also easier now because we have some credibility. We could say, you know, we have over 100 locations. We were really successful in New York and San Francisco, and there's a store just like yours that's doing X amount of revenue. So the pitch has become really good. Um, there's two value props for the businesses for Bounce. One is the extra revenue stream, and the other is the... Um, extra foot traffic. Um, so now we'll, we'll look at, um, areas and, and find leads in that area and then sort of put them through a automated process to, um, to inform them about bounce and then, um, and then invite them to the platform. Got it. So if I pop open the app, I need to drop my bags. I can go to a Seven Eleven around the corner. The two value props to that operator are, Hey, one, you're gonna need someone that walks in your front door and chances are they're going to buy a water or a kind bar. Um, and then also you're going to get a cut of revenue for the, for them purchasing for each bag stored for each bag stored. That's right. How has that conversation gone to date? Or do you feel really good about your ability to acquire supply? Do you think there's more education in the market that needs to happen 
or I mean, it feels like a win-win, but I don't know the the storage component for the local operators. So I think the the best metric to gauge that is churn, and we've had close to zero churn. Uh, almost every store that signed up with Bounce has stayed with Bounce. The most common reason for leaving, which has happened a couple of times, is uh, like store remodeling or store closing. And so um, that means we've done a good job keeping it pretty lightweight, um, and then also keeping it valuable for them. So that's been really powerful for us. Do you see any opportunities to leverage the stores as part of your like end user customer acquisition? So they help acquire customers that may need the service? Yeah, yeah. So we put signage in the stores and now outside of the stores. Okay. And then also we give an incentive to stores to um, invite customers. And, and they, yeah, they, they get commission for every customer they bring in. And now as we start to think about where this can go, right? So like, I know there's... There's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of markets out there that seem primed for this, but definitely not the majority, right? Probably in my eyes, you know, of cities where people are actually walking around a bunch. Um, you know, I might think this could work in four or five markets. I could be extremely wrong. Like what's, what sort of data have you used to validate that this can get really big or like how large do you see this going? Or is it, you know, you'll capture the foot traffic and then you're going to grow into this pickup and delivery model that you kind of started with. Like, how do you think about this as it scales beyond where you're at right now? Yeah. So I think there's a, I think there's a couple dozen cities that are, are prime for bounce, um, but more, and, and we can build a great business just off of that. But I think that um, the bigger opportunity is there are a couple waves that are happening where if we ride them out, uh, they will very much be in our favor. So we say that our biggest competitor is the trunks of people's cars um, in cities where you get around with a car, you know, uh, bounce solves the problem that your things are weighing you down. Well, if you have a car, you can just put it in the trunk. But with ride sharing, you know, in San Francisco, everyone gets around with Uber or Lyft. Um, you don't really have that option anymore. Um, with self-driving cars around the corner, that's going to accelerate. And so the, the cities, the, the percentage of people that live in cities that no longer have a, have a car and get, get around with their own car is, um, is, is very much moving in our, in our favor. I can see this aligning actually pretty nicely with this, the scooter evolution. Yeah, It's absolutely. like you land, you want to navigate the city in a scooter. I mean, it, that's even harder than jumping in the backseat of an Uber. So it's almost like go to the 7-Eleven, drop my bags, grab the scooter out front, run around all day, come back and grab them. I mean, I just, I, I think, um, I can kind of see that, especially over the next five to 10 years as all of this unfolds. I think that does get more interesting. Yeah, exactly. So our, our vision is really to build a platform where Bounce is the sort of distributed storage network, and then we add on the, the pickup and delivery on top of that. The biggest friction point in local users for Bounce right now is that when you drop something off, you have to go all the way back to that location afterwards just to pick up your things. What if you could pick it up in any other Bounce location, or what if it could be sent to wherever you are? So that's so those are some of the things we're working on right now. And... Um, you know, we've talked to users who have said, you know, they switched their gym location closer to their office because um, they didn't want to be the bag lady or bag guy that was, um, you know, constantly schlepping around a ton of things. And so if you think about how sort of urban and, you know, an urbanite lives their day to day life, bounce has the potential to slot in and, and, and fundamentally change your habits. And so if we can effectively do that, then we could build a really, really big business. Um, where can people find you guys online if they want to use the product or, you know, read more about you or, or check out your social channels? Where can they find you? Yes. Yeah, so our URL is usebounce.com, U-S-E 
bounce.com. Um, so you can find us there. I think that has all the links to our social channels. That also has the links to our apps and the app store bounce bag storage everywhere. Um, and then, yeah, we're on all the, all the social media channels as am I, all my handles are at Cody candy, C A N D E E. So, uh, yeah, I always love engaging with folks that are, um, interested in what we're doing and, um, yeah, love connecting with folks. Great. And uh, what markets are you guys live in currently? So we are in New York and San Francisco as our primary markets. And then we have five or six other cities, um, D.C., L.A., Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, Texas. And I think that's it. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to see what you guys are up to over the next six months. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. Oh